Enterprise Management 360, your main source for tech news, analysis, podcasts, and videos for the enterprise. Hello and welcome to the EM360 podcast, where we have a weekly conversation with people who are impacting the enterprise tech landscape. My name is Max Curtin, Head of Content here at EM360 and your host on today's podcast. Make sure you stay up to date with all the latest episodes by subscribing to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you go for your podcasting fix. Now in today's episode, I'm being joined by Shane Curran, who is the CEO at Evervault, and Shane is here to share his thoughts on why plain text data is fueling the ransomware boom. So Shane, welcome to the show and thanks for coming on today. Hey Max, thanks for having me. You're very welcome and looking forward to getting into today's topic matter. But before I start firing questions your way, can you let our listeners know a little bit about yourself and Evervault, please? Sure. As Max mentioned, I'm the founder and CEO of Evervault. We're an encryption infrastructure company that makes it very easy for developers and companies who are building new software uh, to collect sensitive data from their users without ever having to handle it in plain text. So it's always encrypted. My background is sort of as an amateur cryptographer and software developer. Um, so I'm kind of used to the pain of collecting all the sensitive data and not knowing what to do with it. So basically building Evervault and the product that we're working on to, to help people like me five years ago. <laughs> good. We'll always help out past you is always a good approach to business. So plain text. Let's uh, let's set the scene for the listeners first, because obviously listeners to the show very well versed in all security matters. But for those who might not be, let's just kind of kick off by asking you the basics of, you know, what is plain text data? Uh, why do you think it is, as you've re- frequently said, you know, the real enemy as opposed to ransomware hackers? Sure. Um, yeah, so if we, I guess if we just start off with the types of data that most companies today are collecting, yeah, depending on the sector a company's in, the most sensitive data that they're collecting might be something as valuable as a credit card number or a bank account number. Uh, it might be passwords and, and usernames for online banking. And this is just happening more and more now, especially as kind of more of our lives are, are moving online. And, you know, although a lot of people sort of think about encryption and, you know, we're kind of used to the green padlock being in the top left of a web browser every time we go to a a website these days, most companies and most developers have basically totally neglected to focus on encrypting data itself. So basically the pipelines of the internet are encrypted with things like TLS, but, um, you know, the data being stored in a database is encrypted with TLS, but nobody encrypts the sensitive data before it leaves our users' devices. So when we're building software, um, you know, we're still responsible for writing code, keeping the sensitive data itself um, protected and safe, making sure it doesn't get leaked into logs, or you know, making sure that even people within our teams aren't accessing the sensitive data itself. Uh, so fundamentally, when you look at encryption, uh, plain text data is just the original data that is coming from your users. Most companies should be running the sensitive data through uh, some sort of encryption program or, or just using decent encryption in general to keep the sensitive data itself safe. But the reason that it's sort of you know, data breaches and ransomware and so on are really coming out of control, are really moving out of control is just that we're not encrypting the data before it hits our infrastructure. It's always an afterthought. You know, we encrypt the data sometimes or when we're passing it to third parties, but you know, you don't need to be a sort of expert military strategist to you know, to sort of understand this concept of subduing the enemy without fighting. Instead of trying to stop data breaches and you know, building firewalls and creating secure infrastructure and so on to stop hackers from getting into our systems, a much better approach is to just encrypt sensitive data from the get-go. And you can theoretically post an encrypted billboard on or an encrypted database on a billboard in Times Square and not have to worry about the sensitive data itself going missing as long as the keys are kept safe. So yeah, we, we think the real enemy itself is, is plain text data uh, as opposed to sort of the hackers themselves. Although the hackers are obviously a big problem 
you know, it's sort of a, an uphill battle trying to kind of compete against these people and be reactive all the time to the new vulnerabilities that are coming out, as opposed to just sort of encrypting data and not having to worry about it as much. True. And I guess, you know, with that plain text data, it makes that hacker's job just that slightly little bit more easier versus having that kind of encrypted data. And, and, and I like that you say companies should. I always like when we have these conversations, this is what companies should be doing, implying that's what they're not doing. And I'll ask why in a second, but I just want to clarify a couple more points. When we talk about the difference between plain text, readable data getting breached versus that unreadable data, just walk us through, you know, does the former have a much greater impact on business? Yeah, so um, I think like the biggest problem with encryption right now is that even if you're implementing the most modern encryption or like the kind of new standards like AES 256 or, or whatever, the biggest problem is that you're encrypting the data using a key that you still manage. So, you know, although the data itself, once it's encrypted, looks kind of garbled and sort of it's basically, uh, or, you know, it's more or less mathematically unreadable unless you have access to this key. What happens a lot of the time is companies implement their own encryption. You know, they they don't hire software engineers or um, security engineers who are like totally familiar with how encryption works. And so they implement what they think is the best possible encryption, but they also just store the keys themselves in a database that's might even be in the same database as the sensitive data that they're storing. So anybody, once they get access to the key and the sensitive data itself, even if it's been encrypted, you can basically assume that they've accessed the original data, which is kind of a big problem. The biggest impact for business that I think can happen in the encryption space is sort of making the keys themselves totally separated from the data that we're encrypting. So the way Evervault works, for example, is that as traffic runs through our systems, Evervault basically sits in front of our com- our customer's infrastructure uh, that's internet facing. Everything hits Evervault. Uh, Evervault stores the keys, but not the encrypted data. And our customers store the encrypted data, but not the keys. So basically the traffic goes through Evervault. We encrypt it. Once it reaches our customers, they don't have to worry about the keys. They can, um, as I said earlier on, just store it in a database and publicly share that database without having to worry about any any of the ramifications because the key itself is stored by Evervault. So the biggest differentiator and I guess like the biggest sort of piece of customer impact is um, that companies don't have to worry about writing code wrong. Um, security should obviously be sort of part of a, a workflow for any modern day software developer, but it's a very nice sort of comfort blanket knowing that you you know, even if you do mess up or you know, even if data does get leached somewhere, uh, it's not the end of the world, as opposed to sort of trying to always be perfect with every single thing that you do from a security perspective, especially when it's not a core focus for a business. You know, uh, if you're a, a fintech company or if you're a, a healthcare company, you just want to build a great product for your customers. Uh, you don't want to have to be worrying about security every single day because it's just not a core business focus. So uh, by being able to rely on other companies and other products to do this for you and just do this one thing really well, uh, it's kind of a no-brainer from a business impact standpoint. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And obviously it would be nice if everyone did focus on security every day, but we know that's not kind of realistic for, for a lot of organizations. So just a quick follow-up on that. What kind of scale are we, are we talking about here of this kind of being an issue? Are we seeing this kind of across the board? Is it limited to certain industries and certain verticals? Or, or is pretty much most organizations going to face an issue around this? I think it's it's pretty heavily concentrated in companies that are consumer facing you know b2b companies are a little bit different because um, they're not necessarily collecting personal information and you know with uh, all the sort of movements happening even with privacy and uh, you know privacy regulation and so on and you just more people using more online services personal data is the biggest issue here uh, so you know i'd mentioned credit card numbers and payment details earlier on but it's really everything from a date of birth to 
uh, an email address. And you know, I, I think it's been a long time since I signed up for an online service that didn't ask for my email address. So it's it's really impacting all companies. But you know, Evervault's been around for about three years at this point, and there's only been one or two times where we've met with a, a company that's sort of deeply impressed us with how much effort they're putting into security and encryption from day one. I think it's way more rampant than people than people expect. And a lot of the time, companies just get away with keeping the information itself you know, unprotected because a lot of the time it doesn't get reported in the media or they themselves don't disclose it, which is kind of a, a very, very big issue. A very big issue, yeah. And something that obviously we try and combat in this podcast by bringing awareness and talking about these specific issues. Um, but as you say, there's so many companies sharing, holding, storing data and how they kind of process that and how easy it is to access is very surprising. So talk. you mentioned there about kind of the, the day one element of it. So why aren't we seeing that kind of built in from day one protection, it being kind of an afterthought? Is this a cost issue? Is this a time issue? Is it just ah, probably not going to be found out? So we'll just skip that step and move on to the next. So what's the thought process, do you reckon? Yeah, so I, I think this is really the biggest issue with modern security overall is that um, you, people tend to focus on the straw man argument of should we inter- integrate security from day one or should we not integrate security from day one? And sort of in, in a vacuum, the obvious answer is like, yes, security is very important. But the reason it never happens is never sort of an intentional choice that a company doesn't care about security. Like, sure, there's one or two you know startups out there that couldn't care less. But for the most part, companies don't want to be breached. Uh, the biggest problem is just that the tooling out there to do this is extremely fragmented. There aren't really security companies that are focusing on um, startups and sort of early early build companies. So, you know, when you're building a company, you're sort of used to uh, using services like Stripe to charge a credit card or uh, Twilio to send an SMS message. But security is still a lot more all over the place. And even if you had the good intentions of integrating security from day one, there just aren't many good tools and products out there. So it's almost never sort of malicious intent or uh, incompetence on the part of you know, either DevOps professionals or software engineers. It's it's mostly just a lack of tooling. So that's really the gap that we're trying to solve. Excellent. Yeah, I, I think that lack of tooling is, is very key. And just talk to me a little bit how, obviously, you guys bring in the, this tooling element. And what what's the conversations you're kind of having with the, these clients in terms of what they're looking for is—is is it for their protection in order to keep the business running, or is it better for them to be outward focusing towards their customers? Because you said this is very customer facing. What's their motivation, really? Yeah, I think it's—it's it's definitely more so the latter. So a lot of the time, companies come to us and they themselves are trying to sell. They might be, say, a ten-person company or a twenty-person company trying to close their first deal with a Fortune five hundred or a bank or something like that. And, you know, they're getting peppered all the time by these internal security teams, and they just generally don't have good answers for how they keep the information safe. You know, they'll say, oh, we use encryption at rest or whatever the AWS default is. But, you know, when you have people whose full-time jobs uh, are to basically poke holes in you know, new tech vendors during the procurement process, uh, it's very hard for a small company to kind of keep up with that and do a good job of it. So a lot of the time it's, it's customers coming to us using using us for the opportunity it creates with selling to new customers. But then there's also quite a lot of use cases where companies have to become compliant with certain certifications depending on the data that they're collecting. So for example, if you're collecting credit card numbers, uh, you have to be compliant with this, not regulation, but this sort of standard called PCI DSS, which was uh, created by Visa, MasterCard, uh, JCB, and I think um, maybe American Express as well. Uh, basically just to sort of improve the security standards of companies that were handling credit card data because up until 
this was introduced in, I think, the late 90s or early 2000s. This, the standard of security was just very poor. But by integrating Evervault and you know, having us look after the encryption of the sensitive data, we can basically pass on our compliance advantages to our customers. So you know, every year we go through a bunch of audits ourselves to make sure that we're compliant with PCI and HIPAA and SOC 2 and a bunch of others. Um, but the advantage of that is it means our customers can integrate our product and not have to worry about going through the process themselves. And you know, speaking from experience, and I'm sure a lot of the listeners will be familiar with what it is like to go through an internal compliance process. It's uh, it's not fun, especially when you're trying to build a product and you know, sell to sell to customers and, and you know, build a business. So, yeah, you know, c- compliance and ability to sell to bigger customers are, are generally the two main ones. But what's interesting, sort of separately to that, is just that. I think a lot of younger and sort of you know, the, the next generation of people building online software are just way more conscious of this stuff just because it's morally a good thing to do. And you see this in sort of the, the rise of Web3 and crypto. And it's it's really great to see, you know, we speak with sort of teenage um, you know, indie hackers all the time who are you know, spending their time building software and they actually just care about this stuff. You know, nobody's asking them to become, uh, you know, to use the best possible encryption, but they just see it as an obvious thing to do. So um, yeah, that makes me pretty optimistic about the future. Very true, and um, me too. I, I, I think there's definitely that shift now, not only from the business perspective, but also the customer perspective as well. If a, if a company can demonstrate good handling of their data in a you know safe manner, they're more likely to kind of sign up and, and stick with that company. And and there's a lot of shifts towards that. I was I was reading the news, or was it yesterday or the day before, and I saw saw this new dating app that's come out where people could, they had to sign up with biometrics. And that obviously, from a customer selling standpoint, says, oh, these are real people, they have to have this. But from the security standpoint, I went, well, this is you know more of a shift towards having that secure, locked-in verification of how data is protected. And that's a big selling point from that perspective, but also it's something that is sellable to the customer. And, and I found that really interesting to kind of see that shift and how that kind of we're seeing that come into a lot more organizations going forward. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's um, the, mo- the most ironic part about the whole um, sort of de- decentralization shift and so on, and kind of making sure that we're proving identities and having data stored everywhere. Um, it's just that it becomes way more, to my point earlier on, about fragmentation. It becomes way more fragmented in, uh, in terms of security as well. So, you know, if a, a dating app wants to integra- integrate biometric security, they shouldn't have to build this themselves. You know, you should there should basically be one standard that's sort of really, really well designed and built by, you know, not necessarily a large company, but at the very least a company that people trust. And, you know, I think Apple, for example, have done a great job of this over the last while where they've opened up Touch ID and Face ID and their sort of secure enclave technology to developers who are building new software. Um, I think the same needs to happen for things like identity because uh, by having just less data scattered all over the place, it's going to make data breaches, you know, at, at least a lot less common. You know, obviously, you know, the, the pushback on that would be that if there's this, if there's only a couple of companies that have all this data, that they, they, you know, they're going to become bigger targets. But you know, that's generally turned out not to be the case. Even if you look at companies like Facebook, their issues aren't, you know, technical incompetency. In fact, they've amazing engineers working on great technology. It's, it's actually more just the way things are designed with uh, data leakage and and privacy that are the bigger challenges. Yeah, definitely. Of course, there's going to be two arguments to every every side, isn't there? We put all the data in one section, easily attacked. We spread it out, still easy to attack. So it, it's a losing battle, that argument. But I agree with you in, in the sense of especially Facebook and having that centralized data. It's easier to defend a castle with a moat than it is to defend the whole city, basically. And I'm kind of curious, um, 
the tokenization versus encryption debate comes up quite a lot. So could you just kind of walk us through how that might fit into this conversation? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll preface it by saying that um, we're very obviously team encryption, but you know, for, for people who aren't familiar, tokenization is this process whereby um, if you've got a field of sensitive data belonging to either you or a customer, basically tokenization providers give you a service where you can give them the data, they give you a token in return that basically lets you retrieve that data at a later point in time, uh, kind of like a cloakroom for sensitive data. Encryption, on the other hand, uses keys and basically doesn't rely on a central authority to store the data. You know, basically the data goes through, you encrypt it with a key, one party can store the key and another party can store the encrypted data. So, you know, from a, I guess like a pro, pros and cons standpoint, tokenization totally removes the risk of the organization that's using the tokenization service, but they place all of that risk into the tokenization provider, you know, and you know, their security stance and so on. So it's basically just shifting responsibility. With encryption, it uh, basically compounds. So with Evervault, for example, like I said, Evervault stores the keys, but not the encrypted data, which means that both Evervault and our customer would have to uh, simultaneously be breached for any data to go missing. And we think that that's you know, a far less likely outcome than a tokenization provider going missing. There's also a, quite a few sort of technical advantages to things like encryption, uh, or well, to encryption specifically. Uh, the first being latency. Because you don't have to replicate these databases with all the tokenized data around the world, you only need to replicate keys, which are very, very small pieces of data. It means that you can deploy your code in way more geographies, way more regions, and do that way quicker. So that it means it's a way smoother sort of experience for the end user and companies that are integrating encryption or, or even using Evervault, for example, uh, can go global from day one as opposed to a tokenization provider who um, you know, basically have to you know, copy their entire database of tokenized data, worry about the latency impact of that, and um, yeah, and sort of deal with all of the, the technical ramifications of just sort of passing your data onto a third party or into an isolated service. Perfect. So very much team encryption. I, I, I can see that. That's a wise choice. Um, so I'm just curious then, in terms of listeners who, who who are listening right now and they're kind of curious about this as we as we push forward and they're going, okay, I'm I'm seeing the issue that I should be addressing, and I know certain areas where there are vulnerabilities when we have this plain text data conversation. What advice would you be giving them to kind of get everything in line to kind of shift to the Evervault way of thinking? I really think it's it's one answer. So I feel really bad for security teams working at companies because it's not that they're fighting a losing battle, but they always just have to keep up, up to date with these new um, exploits that are coming out of sort of shadow brokers or, you know, like all these RCEs and new technologies and the log4j stuff that happened recently and so on. So it's basically a complete mess. Um, what I think companies need to accept is just that they will be breached uh, or or they already have been breached and they don't know about it. So you basically just have to assume that all of your infrastructure is open to the world. And although you should keep sort of prioritizing stuff just to make sure that you don't, you know, your systems don't go down because of some vulnerability, uh, from a data protection standpoint, just assume that you, everything is already public. Um, and that really forces companies and developers to think about, you know, how can they use technology to protect the data itself, um, which m- most of the time will drive you in the direction of encrypting data itself, both in, in transit and at rest, like most companies already do, but more importantly, before it even hits your systems, so that even if somebody gets into your server and your database and gets access to everything, um, you know, they don't they don't have the keys to the kingdom because everything's already been encrypted using a key that you guys or you know, the, the company itself don't even store. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's the best approach really going forward and solid advice for organizations who are kind of taking that approach and thinking about it going forward. And I, I want to end the show on obviously talking about Evervolt and, and, and what you guys are, are doing out there because it's very cool that what you've put out there in terms of how you're approaching things does just make sense. You know, I have a lot of these kind of conversations and sometimes there's gaps missing and, and things that aren't really adding up, but I'm enjoying what you guys have got out there and especially what you guys have in terms of the ending the plain text data breaches. So for the listeners, could you elaborate on the company's approach to this and give us an example of how it's working in practice for your clients? You don't have to name any names, but just kind of a real world example. Uh, yeah, so like as, as you said, we pride ourselves on ending plain text data breaches, and that's a little bit of a, a fun phrase because it's not that we're actually trying to end data breaches, we're just trying to end plain text data, and by extension, data breaches are a thing of the past. So yeah, our goal is just to get as much data, as many types uh, of, of data, as many industries as possible uh, using encryption, regardless of whether that's Evervault or some other approach. You know, as, as one example, it's sort of getting to a point where I'm kind of scared every card, every time a credit card gets declined in a shop because um, there's a good chance that uh, in, at least in certain geographies, that the traffic itself is running through Evervault systems. So, you know, keeping things like credit card data safe for large financial institutions that are uh, issuing debit cards to their customers, uh, interfacing with the card providers and you know, their sort of back office systems. That's sort of on the larger side. But on the smaller side, we work with a company called Mana, uh, who do drone food delivery. So, every time you order a, a bag of French fries or something to your house uh, by drone, we make sure that all of your sensitive data is only accessible to the drone and you're not worried about. Uh, your your data going missing there, as well as sort of in the Web3 space, working with companies like Ultra, who uh, are basically building Steam for online gaming and keeping uh, all of their tokens and keys safe, uh, all sort of powered by Evervault systems. So it's pretty broad, but you know, that's sort of intentional. As an infrastructure company, we just kind of want to sit there under the hood and not worry about all the sort of applications that people build on top of it, but just sort of inspire them to build without having to worry about security. I think that's the best way to be out of sight, but keeping people safe. That's uh, the name of the game. So Shane, thank you for coming on today's episode, walking us through all of this. It's been really great talking to you. Thanks for giving your insights. Likewise, it's been very fun. Thanks, Max. Cheers, Shane. And thank you, everyone, who took the time to listen to this episode. We hope you took a lot away from the conversation, but if you are looking for a little bit more information on what we've discussed, then make sure you head on over to evervault.com. They've got some fantastic blog entries and some documents you can check out. So that's at evervault.com. We'll, of course, be back next week with another episode in our podcast series. Until then, you can join the conversation at AM360Tech on Twitter and LinkedIn. Subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform. And, of course, for more great daily content, head on over to AM360Tech.com. Mm-hmm.